0: good morning church and welcome to worship. My name is Andy Maddock. I'm lead pastor here at Valencia United Methodist Church and on behalf of our staff and our families, I want to welcome you to the season of Advent and preparation for Christmas. I don't need you to check your iPhones and your calendar apps. Yes, this is early. We'll get into that in just a moment's time. But it's a part of my pattern and practice to start with prayer. So let's pray and offer our lives to God. Holy One, in whom we live and move and have our being, we give you thanks for this time and for your people. We give you thanks for your story and for your words spoken in our midst. We'd ask that in this time that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, they might be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, who is our strength and the source of all salvation, amen. Let me tell you a story. 22 years ago, in July of 2000, Camille and I got married. It's also the same year that I started my practice in ministry, uh, doing good work on behalf of the United Methodist Church way out in Desert Hot Springs, California. But we had our first Christmas together out in their parsonage, out north of Palm Springs. And one of the counseling pieces that I give to newlywed couples is, talk about your Christmas traditions before y'all get there. Just have the conversation. Because the first time you have a Christmas together, there is an intersection of family history and expectation which you might never have anticipated. In our house, it took this form. I married young. So, over the first two decades of my life, Christmas Eve involved a casserole dish of lasagna that my mom lovingly made. Camille, for the first two decades of her life, grew up in West Texas, and so Christmas Eve was an opportunity for tamales to be served. (laughs) They're not wrong. But here we had, in the pneumatic household, an intersection of expectation, tamales and lasagna, Mexican tradition and Italian tradition coming to blows around what ought to be served to celebrate the birth of our Lord. Now, as we've worked through these last 22 beautiful and at times long years, what we've come to discover is that that tradition doesn't matter as much as we thought it did. It didn't require quite as much negotiation as we anticipated. And we've settled into a pattern with as busy as we are, as we're both pastors with growing children, that Christmas Eve usually involves some kind of potluck or Taco Bell drive through to get through the night with some caffeine. We've learned. New patterns out of new expectations and new encountering. Fast forward to this summer when I was tuned in online to Reverend Nicole's penultimate sermon in your midst. Where she talked about ten things that she had brought to life here in your midst that she just loved, honored, and embraced. High on that list was six weeks of Advent. Now, I, for 22 years of ministry, have known with certainty that there are four Sundays in Advent. (laughs) Hope, love, peace, and joy. There's a wreath with four candles that surround a Christ candle in the middle. There are classic texts that we preach. There are songs we have to sing. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Otherwise, you are doing it wrong. But I began to hear the stories of how having a little extra space for Christmas and Advent mattered to our small groups and the life of our church. The way taking the Advent celebration out of maybe the Thanksgiving weekend or a busy season in people's lives allowed this church to give it its full attention as we will this evening. And so the tradition of six weeks and four weeks intersects not unlike lasagna and tamales in my heart and in my soul. So if you are sitting here on the 13th of November going, for Christ's sake, my child or grandchild still goes to bed in their Halloween costume, you are seen and you are known and you are heard. But this sense of expectation and this interruption, the way in which Advent and Christmas intrudes on our lives, perhaps it is appropriate to start this early. See, Advent is a season that moves. It falls in line with where Christmas lies. So when I inherited the work of this church from Reverend Nicole and Pastor Michelle and I saw that Christmas was on a Sunday, it meant that today is literally the earliest we could start Advent in our calendar, on the 13th of November. This is lasagna and tamales all over again. And it just didn't seem right to put sour cream and salsa on my mom's lasagna. But I'm going to learn, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to live into a hope and an expectation. Because this work of Advent and preparation for the stories of Christmas is a good and a sacred and a holy thing. It allows us to lean into a long-for spoken word. This idea that we long for God to speak to us in the stories of Christmas. We long to hear them in a powerful way. Maybe like you, maybe like me, you like to have the Christmas songs on early. As soon as they're available on the Holly Channel, on, Chris, on Sirius XM, they're on in my car. Camille is much more a like Good Friday, decorate the house kind of person. But I need this season to reinvigorate the long nights and the patterns of change that daylight saving involve and the shortening of days and the ways in which it weighs heavy on my body, spirit, and soul. You see, everything in this time in our lives, be it holy and sacred or profane and of the world, tells a story about the holy days of the holidays of the people that surround in our Starbucks cups, in our interaction with one another. These are holy days in the lives of our community, whether they are for giving thanks, reflecting on our cultural experience, or for us in the Christian tradition, celebrating the birth of Christ. And the things that you see and the things that you smell and the things that you hear tell the stories of Christmas. Light being a powerful one. I want to thank you guys for lighting our first candle. And with Luke, I kind of went... I hope it works, as that light was tipped into it. And the light came, and we named it expectation. This longing for the idea that soon one light will be seven, and our trees will be lit this evening, that there will be a transformation of light in our midst. But the story that the light tells is that while it is alone, it is enough if we turned off every light, if we blacked out every window, if we sat in complete darkness, the light of this one candle would be sufficient to break through. Our decorations tell the story. Trees, bows, bulbs, crisp tonight, the lights we hang on our house, and the ways in which we shape our story around, saying we are celebrating in this season. But more than any of that, I think our character tells people and tells ourselves the Christmas story. How we treat each other, how we interact, how we behave over the next 40 plus days together as we get ready for Christmas Eve and Christmas will define us as a church and as a community. The world has taught us that there are Christmas villains. Charles Dickens, Ebenezer Scrooge, bah humbug. Are there not poor houses? Are there not prisons? The topic of our study that Pastor Camille and I are beginning in two weeks, but many of our small groups have weighed into already over this six-week period of Advent, where we're going to use a book that helps us to highlight the story of the Grinch through the lens of the work of the gospel. How is it that someone hates Christmas enough that they want to steal it from others? Our character tells a story in Christmas, and I'd rather be the hero than a villain. And here's a simple way to be a hero at Christmas. Practice generosity even in a season of scarcity. I know the economy stinks. I know the cost of milk, gas, peanut butter, diapers. Everything is going up right now. I hope we can still find ways into a pattern of generosity and sharing from the simplicity of our lives with others in our lobby this morning is a caring and sharing tree and each one of those tabs on that tree represent an opportunity for us to bear witness to the Christmas story in the lives of a young person who's no more than fingers reach from us here in the Valencia community in our pattern and practice of generosity and being willing to claim those tags and to share a simple gift with another it serves as a chance for your story to be defined by the season and for it to shape the experience of another. I could not encourage you more strongly to grab one, two, or three of those as an individual or as a family, to take them out and to return with those gifts as we shape the lives of others. Because the story that we're going to tell through this season is about a generous God who gives to a world that is stuck in scarcity. Let me tell you how John tells it comes from the Gospel of John. We call it the prologue, the very first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that had been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skipping down to verse 14. This Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. John's story is very different than the other Gospel takes on the birth of Jesus, but it is a Christmas story. It's a story of a people and their need. Their need is based on their patterns of sin and their patterns of brokenness. They are a people who have walked in darkness, and upon them the light hath shined. In that shining light, in that gift of the Son, that which is complex about our universe is somehow made simple, and that which is simple about our lives is made all the more complex. Let me tell you what I mean. We sang about it this morning. Praise to the Father. Praise to the Son. Praise to the Holy Spirit three in one. Somehow that which is Word and God and with God from the very beginning of things is made flesh and real in our story. John wants you to know that the fullness of the universe, the fullness of the heavens, the fullness of God's grace and mercy, the complexity of the relationship of the Trinity in and of itself is made real in a kid in the vulnerability of the gift of the child. That the stories of the Old Testament about God's presence being with people in the temple, in the tabernacle, in their journeying together, in their delivering from suffering and bondage to new life, all of those principles, hopes, and expectations are made real. In a light that will not be quenched and in a child's simple flesh. That is complexity made simple. But in our lives, it is also the simple made complex because we are called out of the work of one child to somehow be different for the sake of our relationship with God, but more than that, for the sake of the transformation of the world. What would it look like? Could you even imagine if the stories that you told and you imagined had such flesh and vitality that they changed the world's experience itself? Well, that's what happens in the Gospel of John. The story, that is God's love, is given flesh. Incarnation. En in, in meatiness. And in the meatiness of the human flesh of Jesus Christ, we find the revelation of who God is. The Greek word that we use to talk about that in the Gospel of John is logos, L-O-G-O-S. Not logos like, you know, your branding, your Nike swoosh. Logos. It means word or impression. But more than that, it means the right word or the specific word. From logos, we get ideas like logic, how we organize our thoughts. Logistics, how we organize and manage our business and our lives. Sown into this story of the Gospel of John is this idea that the Word that God is speaking, the story that God is telling, is making things right. It is the right Word at the right time for a people who needed it the most. Now that sounds like what I'm describing is that where the world was 2,000 years ago was so broken that a word spoken in Logos was going to somehow make it better. But the simple truth is, is that Andy's life on the 13th of November in 2022 is so scarce and so broken that the word needs to be spoken again. And you might say, "Where's the Christmas in all of this?" Because John lacks a lot. There are no angels. There are no virgins. There are no shepherds, there is no manger, there are no kings, there are no gifts. My wife collects nativities, and the problem with the Logos story in the Gospel of John is that you cannot make a precious moments little trinket out of In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was life and light, and everything that comes into being came into being through the Word, and not a thing exists that did not come into being through the Word. How do you boil that down into a ceramic But what John has is the big story of God's work. This prelude, this prologue, this beginning of the Gospel of John is the ramping up of the symphony orchestra. It hits all of the notes that you get throughout the rest of the work of the Gospel of John. Think about the times when ideas like light, life, Voice, hope, possibility come up in the gospel story of who Jesus is. In trying to tell us the story of Christmas, in trying to tell us the story of the birth of the Messiah, this is the place where love is made real in the person of Jesus Christ. That logos was love and light, and so the word becomes the word God speaks into silence and a light in the midst of our darkness. It is a love story that is told in history. Yes, it has its right place, but it is a love story that is told today and tonight in our Advent celebration and week in and week out. And the gift for me, the beautiful thing for me is there's a place for you and for me in the story. And we skipped over it to talk about the idea that the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. That's John's way of describing the temple work of the Old Testament, this dwelling of God made real in the person of Jesus. But tucked into that, in verse 12, just before this idea of God's love made manifest in one person, is an invitation. John says this, the word comes into the world. And although the world came from the word, the world does not recognize the word. But those who do, those who claim the light, those who see themselves in God's story, to them is given the power to become the children of God. There's a place in our story. There's a place for all of our families, no matter how they are manifest in God's story and in God's good work. The beauty of the lighting of the Advent candles throughout our season is we hope to highlight the diversity of the families of the life of our church. Intergenerational. Families of choice, adoption, opportunity. Families that have come together out of new experience and of old to share the fact that God's love is made real and we all become children of God because we have a place in this story. That's what John gives us at Christmas. These are our first steps in a journey to Christmas. And in a church that does this in a big way over six weeks, it's just baby steps. I told the praise band, this is the appetizer course for tonight's abundance. We will feast together in the Advent celebration. We'll literally eat, but beyond that, as we decorate these trees and we fill this space with light and life and hope and possibility, it is a way in which Christmas emerges. And each time we gather over the next six weeks, we have the unique opportunity to hear the story of Christmas in a new way. And I don't just mean that far as yeah, we had a tradition in my house where my dad would read us that night before Christmas story. Dash away, dash away, dash away all. I don't just mean hearing what we know to be true again. What I want for us, what I wish for me, what I wish for you, is to hear the Christmas story in a new way this year so you can say, "Aha." Uh-huh. That's my part in the story. And I don't just mean imagining, oh, am I a shepherd? Am I a wise man in the pageantry of the season? But to say, this is the part I play in the story of Christmas this year. This is the part that Christmas plays in my story this year. And it will be new and it will be full of light and life because Logos is spoken again. Because you all are the voices of Logos for me. There's not a person in this room that I set aside, cast aside to say, you are not a part of shaping my story and understanding Christmas this year. The diversity of our theologies and perspectives and our lives and their practice enhance my experience of hearing the voice of God. And I hope that the Christmas stories will do the same. Because as we take those first steps... I want us to be very clear of the challenge. How can you see yourself in Christmas all the new this year? Let's pray.